You are listening to Leverage, the podcast about politics, power, and influence. I'm Crystal High-Taylor. And I'm Brian Wells. And twin, it's time to bang, bang, shoot them up. Like, I feel like a rough rider in here, courtesy of the Supreme Court with the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, Inc. They, they added again, twin, the, the Supremes, the Supremes, I feel like we literally could spend a whole season talking about this Supreme Court <laughs> and um, guns. America likes guns. We, we like our guns. And now, now it's even easier for you to carry your concealed weapon all up all over the place, right? Is that yes. what you're tell, tell, tell the good people what we have going on with this new decision. Um, by the Supreme Court in uh, this case, uh, like New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, like why we why we want to be out here playing with guns? <laughs> why we want more people? <laughs> why we want more people playing with guns? Like I just, I just. Yeah. So you know, this <laughs> has been. I, I think we need to take the. 30,000 foot step first, right? Zoom out because this ruling does not just sit by itself. It Mm -hmm. sits in a time, um, I almost said problematic time, but (laughs) there's so many things we could say. Sits in a time where Congress was thinking um, and this decision came out right before or right while Congress was passing uh, what they would call the bipartisan gun control you know, uh, legislation. Mm -hmm. And it also came around the time of the Uvalde Mm -hmm. uh, shooting, the Mm -hmm. hate crime and massacre in Buffalo, New York. But then Mm -hmm. the other reality that we have had more mass shootings in this Mm -hmm. country than days in a year. And so clearly access to guns gun regulation, these other things are hard to miss. If you're a Supreme Court justice, it's hard to miss. Mix that with, it was hard to miss the protests that were happening out of certain Supreme Court justice houses as they were dealing with this leak of Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. So you literally see on your front doorstep how access to guns might not be the greatest idea. However, the Supreme said, let's throw caution to the wind. (laughs) And they decided in the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, Inc. versus Bruin, to say that who needs that pesky thing called proper cause? You need a permit, right, to be able to carry and Mm -hmm. to be able to carry in public, right? So this is kind of conceal Mm -hmm. and carry space. And in New York, New York is is one of a few states that are similarly positioned in which you have to show a proper cause to be able to get that, to use it for self-defense, right? You can't just literally say, you could not, sorry, we live in a whole new era now. You could not say (laughs) that I feared for my life like George Zimmerman. 
because you when know them bags of Skittles are lethal. Exactly. You Skittles could not say are that. Lethal. And so, but now you no longer need to have that as that proper cause. What happened is, and the court struck down, right, this ruling in New York, and part of the argument or part of the um, decision that was made and, and brought to bear here was that you had the argument that the, the plaintiffs were making was that carrying a far, firearm outside the home is a fundamental constitutional right. It is not some extraordinary action that requires an extraordinary demonstration of need. This was the argument that was being made by the New York State and Rifle Association. Clarence Thomas said, hold my beer, because I'm going to do you one slightly better. Mm -hmm. Second Amendment, he says, guarantees an individual right to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation, and confrontation can surely take place outside the home. So to break it down, what you're saying is while a gun owner has a fundamental right to carry said gun owner's firearm in the, in the event something goes down, a woman does not have a fundamental right to choose whether or not she should have an abortion? Because you that know, these things came win. down in the same time. So basically- Yep. I mean, so basically what we're saying, I mean, it, it, it's, it's perverse if you think about it, right? You, it's obviously not apples to apples, oranges to oranges. But what the court is saying, essentially, is that your individual right to bear arms, to, to possess and carry weapons is more fundamental and more important than a woman's right to say whether or not it is in her best interest to carry this, like a child, uh, an, an as yet unborn child. That's what we're saying. That's what the court's saying. Yeah. So I, that is what they're saying. What I will say is these are not my words. I would like to quote one Eric Holder, former attorney general, when he mm -hmm. said in a tweet, we should focus on where Thomas and undoubtedly his coup promoting wife would take us. Well. I, those are not my words. I, wow. Those were, but I feel that. Those well, wherever words they take us, we will be armed. Yes, wherever they take us, we will be we will armed. Be. We no longer need a proper cause. That's we right. Know, we don't need a proper cause. I mean, so I, this decision was instantly met with backlash, you know, of <laughs> course, praised by the right National Rifle Association, but Eric Adams, mayor, you know, who's known to be law and order. Um, who was I, former law enforcement, correct? Yes. For like decades upon decades. Has continued to compare this to what would be the wild, wild west. And to say, we need to do everything in our power to make sure that New York is not the wild, wild west. Um, but you've was also not, had... Not to cut you off, Twin, but was there not just recently a random shooting on a subway in New York? And that was See, with the proper cause in question. So now you, you really don't need a proper cause. Like, I mean, I, okay. 
Okay. But, but here's the nefarious thing at play here. If we, I'm going to jump real quick into the policy side of things. The nefarious thing at play is the New York, you know, State Rifle and Rifle and Pistol Association, you know, whatever mm-hmm. they call it, the artist formerly known as, you know, insert here. Um, they would argue that every quote unquote sane and rational person has the right to this firearm, but who doesn't is felons. We have a problem because you know me, twin. I don't use the term felons. First of all, we use Correct. the term formerly incarcerated and they should not Correct. be. It is my belief. They should not be barred, especially once they have sh- served their time. Correct. But we know black and brown people are disproportionately bailed into that criminal legal mm-hmm. system that then you're mm-hmm. going to brand them as felons and make them ineligible. And mm-hmm. then also those with mental illness histories, right? And again, these red flag laws that in some ways mm-hmm. hurt persons with disabilities and adds unnecessarily to this divisive conversation mm-hmm. because here's what's not being unpacked. Guess what's not a mental illness? Racist. Hate crimes and racism. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Racism, racism is not a mental And when are we going to say that hate and racism should you, disqualify you? Still you. You, you still got Jimmy the racist out here who is able to prove his mental capability and you've given him a gun so that he can go out there and fear of his life. And let's not remove ourselves too far from January 6th because this is the crux of my point. This is who's about to be able to get these uh-huh. weapons and walk down the street. They supposedly fear for their lives at such a magnitude that they almost Correct. tore down the Capitol building. Correct. It came from Correct. all these spaces around. And this is how it plays out. So, you know, and, and I think that it came at a time where, again, on the political space, we're having this fight between how do we bring to bear accountability, gun regulation, gun control, and mm-hmm. then how do we continue to further this age-old argument of the right to bear arms for some, because we have not been for the right to bear arms of all. <laughs> As you will notice, I have partially bare arms, so I guess I'm only partially using, oh, not those arms, those aren't the arms not, we're talking not, about there. <laughs> That's not, not the arms we're talking I mean, these, these are partially bare arms. But so, how? I mean, I'm gonna tell you what, <laughs> I have so many layers of confusion um, and, and maybe you can also help help me understand, help our listeners understand how this plays then against this new half-assed attempt at, le- I'm sorry, it's not, mm-mm. this new gun reform legislation that has been passed out of yeah. Congress and yep. will be signed um, by President Joe Biden. Because on one hand, it strikes me that this case establishes as precedent that you can, you know, have fun, conceal, carry if you have your permit. Do you? You don't need a reason. Carry your guns. How does that, how do we jive that with a culture where we clearly need to rein in not only the requirements around, um, gun gun acquisition use all of that like the background checks like if you say like oh well 
you you can't be um, you know mentally compromised in order to own a gun or carry your gun, you know, under this law. But how, how does that job against this new legislation? Like, what what are what are the actual standards that are at play as between um, the soon to be, I guess, what first and thirty year attempt at gun reform um, in the country and this latest case? Yeah, so it it puts it in, politically speaking, a very uncomfortable time, right? Because Mm -hmm. President Biden, as as early as this morning, signed the bill into law. Um, You know, shout out, side note, they did this very, very quickly. Uh, So it is possible to... Do things quickly. That that legislation when you want to and sign them into law when you want to. That's right. When you want to, or when it's politically expedient. Oh, I'm sorry. That or mm. or versus when you should. You know, because when you should should would be like right away, like yes to century. So do it today and now. So we found that you know this stuff happens and it can happen. Congress has always been able to do what it wants. Because politics is not about what is possible or impossible. It's all about appetite. So folks had an appetite in part to deal with this gun control legislation. Here's the issue. It puts it, you know, and and I won't get in, I'll I'll save when we get to the policy part, the details on, Mm -hmm. on the bill itself. But from the politics side, we have this attempt to try to have a conversation Mm-hmm. Even as you said, not the not the most expansive. It's mediocre, mm-hmm. but you know, governments try to tout it as expansive for mm-hmm. the people's morale uh, to be able to do gun control. And yet, you have this Supreme Court that it was just ten years. You know, uh, uh, two thousand ten is when they had that last visit of gun rights mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that they allowed. When you know uh, this, so it's this continuous fight between gun control and gun rights. And I would say Congress has passed this tepid bill into law, as we have seen, just like with other laws, it's the Supreme Court may have an ability to weigh in. I don't know that they you know, will in the immediate term, but what we do know is the decision that they just made on New York is definitely long lasting right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And it puts it right back in a state right a space where trafficking across states of guns already is something that is a huge problem. It feels like a setup. (laughs) It feels like a setup to me, right? Because on one hand, you empower, we already said, racist, white supremacists to no longer even have to say there is a proper cause, right, for them to have these weapons you obtain them, get them, carry them around, do what you will. And at the same time, while that, that right is afforded as well to people of color, it strikes me that if there is an uptick of people of color, Black and Latino men in particular, with just the possibility of carrying around firearms that are concealed. It strikes me, but that is very, very good pretext for additional stops, additional searches and seizures, additional um, additional 
unnecessary and often unwanted uh, police contact with people just trying to live their lives. And, and we, we, we have seen too many times what happens when unarmed Black men, in particular unarmed Hispanic men, are just thought to have a weapon. What happens as a consequence of that? And so now in this regime where they may, they may have a weapon, are legal ent- legally entitled to do so. That that just oh that seems like a setup to me, boss. It, it does, and I think that here's the other part of the politics that we need to uncover is not just the thought that black and brown men and women can carry a actual physical weapon, and that that would lead in an uptick to potentially police deaths, in which we have already decided we're going to forego any meaningful conversation on police accountability in this country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. also the bigger thing, let's talk about all of these unarmed people that died, Black people that were killed mm-hmm. because you weaponized their skin color by mm-hmm. supposing that they were bigger than they were mm-hmm. and older mm-hmm. than they were and somehow that was a threat. We need to understand that in one space that you and I both capitalize on twin, that communications and strategic communication mm-hmm. space, there has been a litany from slavery all the way to the present in uh, attributing magical powers to black people Correct. in a way the that makes it seem Negro. like we don't feel exactly that we don't feel magical pain. Negro. But then on the other hand, we literally are fighting for a Mike Brown to remain a child and not be seen as an adult. And therefore, not only as an adult, but because they're Black, that somehow a threat. The American Psychological Association did a study, you know, a few years back in which they were, you know, trying to get under this, if you put two men, same mm-hmm. size, right? Same, same mm-hmm. weight around the same weight, bench pressing even amongst the similar spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did all different controls. Let's give them stereotypical black names or white names, or let's put faces, heads to bodies and try to match it up. It showed that more often than not, black people were seen and black men of the same size as these white men were seen as somehow bigger. Mm-hmm. And we're seen as a threat. And then the logical thought was any use of force and violence inflicted upon them mm-hmm. was therefore justified. So when we come back to this court case that has now allowed mm-hmm. for quote unquote everybody that fits this bill to be able to carry with a loosened thing of what proper cause means under self-defense, mm-hmm. we already know how this bears out. Mm-hmm. We, we already know there's always been a double standard. There has always been a way in which we implement actually these things differently. And so, you know, I think that part of the issue then here is when are we going to reckon with the fact that due to the lack of accountability on law enforcement mm-hmm. and due to the lack of responsible gun control conversation here, we have made yet another system that is going to disproportionately harm Black lives, Brown lives, Indigenous lives, persons with disabilities. When are we, when are we going to come to reckon 
that this Supreme Court yet again, in a matter of one week, has brought down at least three decisions that on the face of it seems to be race neutral, but we know where this is going. I'm tired. <laughs> I just. Yep. I'm tired. So the, 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 the power construct of this is this, you know, after the, after the shooting in Uvalde, Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, uh, and you know, I think this is this is worth repeating. Unfortunately, because the messaging has been that what can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. A good gun with gun, right? And we had nineteen quote unquote good guys with guns that sat outside of a classroom. That's one officer for each child that was killed there. I just want to let that sink into that mm-hmm. as we're talking about the politics and the messaging of this, at what mm-hmm. point are we going to realize that the messaging can be cute and the messaging can work for that time, but it has real harms that are attached to it when it comes mm-hmm. to being implemented in actual policy imperatives. So Congress got together, they did a huddle. Um, I would say that in part, you know, part of the problem is you had 20 senators, all white, mostly men who got together behind closed doors to hash out gun control when the people that are most disproportionately impacted in this country are people of color. Correct. That already right there was the beginning of the end of what would be actual effective policy. But what was produced, it's not that there's completely bad things in there. There are some good things in that bill. That oh, please give us, us, get, give us the silver lining. You know, we stand a silver, silver lining. You know, I mean, it, it does begin to um, help deal with uh, some sort of money and resources towards a conversational mental health. That's the silver lining. Mm-hmm. Watch what I'm about to do there. Here's Peter. We're going to rob from Peter, though, to pay Paul. <laughs> We've had an irresponsible conversation, though, about mental health, and these red flag laws are not helping Mm -hmm. because that feeds back Mm -hmm. into that who can own. So at least we're willing to talk about mental health. That's the red line, uh, the silver lining. The Mm -hmm. part of the problem is, but we Mm -hmm. did this in a rushed way that we're actually doing a disservice that's about to help further marginalize those that are marginalized. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there was the boyfriend loophole that they Mm -hmm. sought to close and deal with, you know, cases of domestic violence. But again, this court ruling did nothing to help in that broader, how people perceive black folks and Mm -hmm. black men and home situations. Um, Yeah, that's about kind of the good stuff. Here comes the bad stuff. So there was threat assessments that are at least have the potential to be brought in and to give rise. Threat assessments, you know, most people might not know what those are. Um, think 9-11. Mm-hmm. Threat assessments, you know, they started to develop around this anti-terrorism because, you know, in, in the government's mind, all too often sometimes, threat assessments, uh, you know, are for, um, and terrorists are the Muslims and these other, you know, black and brown people. Not, they would never say that the January 6th folks. is a terrorist act. Correct. 
And or, so, or, or that the Buffalo shooting was a terrorist act. Right. And now, or that the shooting down at Mother Emanuel that's right. was a terrorist act. And literally, the only reason they called that a terrorist act in Buffalo was because he hit literally every box that was checked for it to be <laughs> undeniably the burden of proof no longer existed. And so, you know. I think that when we give in this process of threat assessments with which we've said, if it looks like what we perceive to be a terrorist, then we're going to put them on that list and allow them to be surveilled. This is what we're trying to now potentially introduce into our schools, surveilling our students, surveilling our black and brown kids and our kids with disabilities, students with disabilities, and put them in this space it literally feeds into the school to prison pipeline sort of thing that has been happening in reality in this country. I mean, y'all need to start looking at Timmy Joe a little bit differently. Little Timmy, without no friends, who seems real quiet and distant from everybody. And, and that's the problem, right? <laughs> that, that's the problem is the evidence has shown us, even in the uh, Obama years, the evidence showed us that white, men, male extremists in the United States were the prevailing and prevalent threat as domestic terrorists. And if we look at the broader panorama of all of the uh, major mass shootings that are happening, and by mass shootings, because, you know, mass shootings is, is tip literally defined as four or more people that are involved mm -hmm. in this, you know, and impacted by it. But that's different than people that's going in and shooting everybody and their brother indiscriminately. The vast majority of those right. cases are white men. Correct. White men, 18 Correct. and up, grown men, you know. And so the problem here then is what, what has happened is we have decided to bring in this conversation that one of my colleagues says there's a difference between a school shooting and a mass shooting in a school. Mm -hmm. What Uvalde mm -hmm. was, was a mass shooting in a school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And these things, what was seen as the politically opportunistic moment was to talk about and use Uvalde, which was a tragedy, as the pretext to try to get gun control. But the right. problem is now what that has led to is more school hardening. Well, because we're in communities, the... which means police potentially in schools, and therefore you right. haven't fixed the problem. Right. Because how does the saying go? Like, if you really wanted gun reform, you would allow colored people to get all gun, like get all the guns, and that's Remember when, when the it Black Panthers come? in the nineteen seventies was like, "Let's go ahead and arm that," and then not only the FBI but oh, the NRA was like, mm, oh, I don't know. Oh. It was the first time you heard the NRA being like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do all, I don't know, guns. We need reform. We, we need regulation. We, we didn't mean you. That's that's what the subtext was. Well, we meant us. We didn't mean you. But you know what though? If you go back to a textual example, wouldn't that be just in line with the constitution? Because again, as we have said before on this show, who got rights in the constitution? white That's right. That's not right. anybody else so it's like it may offend our sensibilities for sure but i'm like all of this really it, it, it's so fascinating to me right because it leads us to this place where at some point we have to have a very real and honest conversation about what america is and what america isn't and for whom this country was constructed to benefit we ain't gonna have that conversation today 
But that's the underlying theme and all it is because so much like offends our sensibility and we'll be like, but how can they do this? And why are these laws changing? And what are these rules? And this is so unfair. But when you say, hun, this is how the system was designed. It wasn't created with you in mind. And you were never supposed to be the right beneficiary there. of this system. So the system isn't broken. It's working exactly as it was intended to work. Y'all just have the audacity to want equality. <laughs> Y'all just have the audacity to want the same level of freedom and treatment that anybody who lives in this country should have. But we weren't the ones who were contemplated by this stuff. We're, we're not who these laws were made to suit. And it's real interesting to me now, when we look at the current composition of the court, when we look at some of these cases that have come down um, in recent weeks, right? There, there is a very strong sense, right? It's not just a return to states' rights. There's this very strong sense that this particular Supreme Court is very interested in what, what was Trump's line, which he stole from Reagan? Make America Make great America again. Make America great again. Roll it back, really. Like you talk about rolling back rights, rolling back, rolling back a configuration of rights where all the other people upon whose backs this country was built, by the way, right? But we, we wanna roll back our rights and our systems so that you really can't claim all the entitlements that you've been able to get access to in the yep. years since. And, and don't get me wrong, not trying to rain on a parade that is happening because you know, you had members of Congress on both sides of the aisle clapping hands and high-fiving and we got this. Did but let me break down. Were they also oh, singing Lord. When They had that, oh, please don't, look, please don't trigger me with that Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer <laughs> moment when they decided to take a knee in, in Kente cloth and, and mm-mm, mm-mm. But <laughs> I, let me come back, let me come back to, right back, come back to life. <laughs> but, but, Part of the problem here is, to your point, we refuse even at the policy side to look at it from a racial equity tone. Mm -hmm. Because racial equity, if we had looked at this from a racial equity tone, first of all, it would have said, we don't have only white men in mm -hmm. Congress today. So it would have said, while yes, Uvalde and Buffalo and these other spaces need to be addressed, who was sitting at the table as the lead negotiators on this matters. Mm -hmm. Additionally, it would have mm -hmm. said that we have to look at this and make sure that from the policy side, we are not robbing and doing a disservice to Raheem to go ahead mm -hmm. and to satisfy Jimmy and Tim. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? Because what, mm -hmm. we, what we gained while there was some good stuff in this bill, the over the 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 parts that may have been smaller and yet problematic matter mm -hmm. strongly when we're talking about the criminalizing of black and brown folks that mm -hmm. leads and intersects right with the Supreme Court decision. Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is this same community, black people, brown people, mm -hmm. persons with disabilities, mm -hmm. continue to bear the brunt yet again. The reason I say this, here's how it politically went down. It was a bipartisan hmm. 
apparently it was bipartisan bill that was put together. Mm-hmm. But it's worth mentioning, only 15 Republicans in the entire Congress voted for it. It was the 15 in the Senate. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of those 15 were not up for re-election anytime soon or were retiring. Mm-hmm. 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 So those that are actually up for a re-election did not vote They're for like, it. We're not going to touch it. <laughs> Correct. We're not going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. So that meant Democrats have passed really this under what was a bipartisan bill and you and i already said it was mediocre at best Mm -hmm. but there are some Mm -hmm. real harms that's in there then you went over to the house side and no republicans voted for it on the house side Mm -hmm. and almost all the democrats voted for it only two did not vote at all Mm -hmm. so this means even though it has some things that republicans are favorable to i'm already predicting we're going to get to a spot where in 2024, the tagline is going to be, if you're, you know, the conservative has now been set up to say, y'all passed this bipartisan le- legislation, mm-hmm. but the harms that are being experienced are being borne upon black and brown people from this bill that y'all mm-hmm. passed because we y'all ain't on the record it. for real passing right. that much. And so the headline so this is, is basically the new Kanye West. Y'all don't like black people. Yeah. Right. So this is like, the Joe Biden version of Clinton's crime bill. It is literally, the parts that are damaging is literally a harken back to the 1994 crime bill. And that's, that's the dangerous spot that we're in. When we talk about power and the policy of it, you don't want, and, and we ought to be, which is why we have to look at it from a racial equity standpoint. My question to America is when are we going to stop using bipartisanship as the altar through which we sacrifice black and brown folk? Just to be able to say for an election that we did something, but that something is better than nothing is no longer true. Something could be real harmful. And as we see with this Supreme Court and this climate could be a whole rollback. Well, because, I mean, the other reality, too, right, is like across history, people don't like history. Oh, we don't like history. But across history, uh, Democrats, Democrats, as well as Republicans, have thrown Black people under the bus, over the bridge, <laughs> down the street, kicked yep. the can, like. And then back the bus up again. Back it, back up. it up. Backed it up three and four times. So like the idea that something is bipartisan means nothing if it's ultimately anti-Black. Yep. Anti-person of color, anti-LGBTQ+. You see what I'm saying? It's like we, we use bipartisanship as a false lens of consensus building. When in reality, you know, it, it just means, oh, well, some, some of them voted for this. We don't know that the legislation is actually beneficial to your community. But some of them voted with us on on this issue. That's right. And the way the legislation is written, as we talked about in the last episode, Twin, about implementation being the most important Mm -hmm. part of policy Mm -hmm. and implementation uh, happening at the state level. A lot of this is written really so poorly that you can expect there to be a fudging of how it's implemented. And you can expect there to potentially be some court decisions that come out of this bipartisan piece of legislation that is there. And needless to say, implementation, as we've talked about before, will ultimately bear down in the states. Yep. 
<laughs> which again, the composition, who is leading you? <laughs> Not just federally, who is on the ground implementing these policies and putting in place structures that either enable or disable a functioning democracy? Yep. Yep. So the, the scene of the crime here is this, even though we started with the Supreme Court case, the scene of the crime is that yet again, white wealthy landowning men were the ones who built this power and you had a vast majority of white men and a few white women, no people of color sitting at the table to put together this deal, whether it was rooted and grounded in what the community was actually asking for and what people actually said needed to happen was mm -hmm. not at the top of their mind. Mm -hmm. It was just being able to pass some legislation to say that something was done. That then went to the broader Senate, who was not originally at that table when these negotiations were there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that went to the House side, in which literally they received it. The vote happened in the Senate on Thursday night, made its way. And on Friday, the House took it up and passed it without any amendments without any measurements. So the name of so the game- So without any actual review. <laughs> correct. So, so the it, name of the a, game- It's a, let's, let's say that we pass gun reform legislation before we go out on July and August recess because we got to get these votes ahead of the midterms. That's right. So when we get mm -hmm. to the influence part then, this is, we have a heightened, more detailed sense of what we're asking you all to do. Mm -hmm. We are asking you to continue that 2020 ballot box when you turned out in, in highest numbers that we've had. But we're saying don't do that for either party blindly. Correct. We're saying come with a strategy. Let that strategy be your guide with which who you vote for. But then the most important part is not actually at the ballot box is what you do after. We need to demand that we the people are more in these negotiations. Ain't nothing worth rushing over that you can't put before the people in the form of town halls. Like mm -hmm. someone tell me when you're with any of these 20, right, when any of these 20 members of con uh, senators that was negotiating, show me when they even came and took it home and said, hey, let's go. And so, you know, because you're trying right. to protect the sanctity like, of democracy, right? right? So you would have thought right. that y'all would right. have polled all of your constituents and said, here's what we're thinking. We want to hear from you. And Betty, the name of the game is transparency. Right, transparency. And here's on a, tw a twist on it, right? Every time you show up to ask for a dollar or a vote, ask for an opinion too. Yep. You know what I'm saying? These elected officials That's ask right. for an opinion actually engage, don't just be lazy and think that, oh, well, as long as my corporate donors got my back, I'm good. Yep. Th those times have to change. That has to change. So we have learned, if we've learned anything, Twin, from this week, it is that we cannot rely on government and on the Supreme Court, including the Supreme Court, to save us. But the reality is we never have been, especially if you weren't originally written into the constitution in favorably ways. So that means for us, influence means we're no longer waiting for the invitation. We show up and we demand chair. that you show us the legislation. And let me say this, 
you don't have to have a PhD in political science for them to send you the text of the legislation. As long as you can read, and you know what, even if you need to get a neighbor that may have a law degree, may be more politically astute to walk through with you what this is so that you can then tell these members of Congress and tell these state legislators, this ain't working for me. And this is how it needs to change. This ought to teach us that every politician needs clear directives. And we, the people, must do a better job between elections making sure they understand our clear directive and that should they not that we start to hold them accountable and that's on mary had a little had a little lamb (laughs) excellent you are listening to leverage the podcast about power politics and influence i'm crystal high taylor and i'm brian wells